Amen. <laughs> well, a lot's been going on in our world lately. Anyone know anyone affected by the wildfires? I don't know if you've been watching that, like the before and after pictures. And some of you heard the story of the couple hiding in the pool and stuff like that. Pretty intense, the hurricanes. Uh, your hearts go out to Puerto Rico, right? It's intense, right? It's, and, and even just what that brings to us as Americans and to think about you know, our fellow Americans down there. And then um, the shooting in Vegas, how horrific that was and is, and just pure evil. And, and it's hard, even with cell phones now, you, you get so much more. You, as, like, we're so far away from that, but we get to take in so much of that, right? Because you actually, in the midst of the horror, have people recording with you know, video and audio of these events. And with those types of events, I think the same questions are asked that, have been asked during every tragedy and after every tragedy, and it's the simple questions of where is God and does He care? Where is God and does He care? I think it's the question that rises up within all of us at different times in our lives. You ever have a loved one die, right? Even if it's expected, sometimes we ask those questions. You ever get fired from a job, the perfect job, the job, the dream job, and then all of a sudden... It's gone. Maybe your house, the bank, is taking your house. Maybe your spouse files for divorce. We're heading into the holiday season, and holidays can be very painful because many of the divorces happen during the holidays. So it's a question that's asked during those events. It's also a question, I think, that's asked during the normal day-to-day life. Maybe you've asked the question when you get that bill in the mail. You ever get that bill where you're like, no way, (laughs) Are you kidding me? Uh, I do have a miracle. I, I haven't taken medication for now a year and a half. I just want to say that out loud. Just praise the Lord. Um, but it was interesting. I, I, got, I was in pain management. So I was getting the injections in my arms and my calves and my skull. And, um, and that was a while ago. And I got the bill <laughs> where it was like a thousand bucks, like two months. And I'm like, no way. Like, are you kidding me? But they're really good at getting their money. So there, there was that bill. Or maybe if you're a little bit younger, maybe it's a boyfriend or girlfriend. You ever been in that fight? I, I just remember those fights with my girlfriend. And, and then you go home and you're just devastated, right? It's two, three, four in the morning. And your heart's broken. And you're, or you're wondering what they're doing or what they're up to or who they're hanging out with. And it's those questions of, God, where are you? God, are you loving? Are you good? Do you even care. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you don't ask those questions. I think anyone who is a created being, who has a creator, I think it's going to be normal for us to look at him, look to him, and say, where are you, and do you even care? But as Christians, praise the Lord that I'm a follower of Christ, and these times we do run to God's word, right? We're not left alone. And as much as we know how, not that any of us are perfect in this, but we put our faith in the Lord, we put our faith in His Holy Word. As much as we know how, by His grace, we put our trust in Him and we put our trust 
in his holy word. And I'm very thankful for the Bible. Anyone else just thankful for the Bible today? I mean, praise the Lord. What a gift. I was thinking about this week. It's a treasure in my life. Anyone else think, if you're in a fire, what would you run and grab? The holy word of God. I cannot imagine living life without it. I'm thankful that the Bible actually records many people, several people, hundreds of people who struggled with the same types of questions that you and I have. I think, by the way, that's why more Americans, I, I wish more people would read their Bibles. It would actually encourage you a lot because the Bible isn't recording a bunch of just like these super professional, perfect God followers who never did anything wrong, who never struggled with anything, who never went through hard times. It actually records very ordinary people. Ordinary people. But as ordinary people like us, they encounter an extraordinary God. As you read the pages of the Bible, you see that in the midst of their struggles, in the midst of their chaos, as we sing earlier, that God reveals himself to them. One of those people, you got to love him. His name is David. You guys remember David? Pretty awesome dude. If you remember the story of David, there was a time he was hiding in a cave. And by the way, you can go to that cave if you go to Israel with us in November 2018. There's a little plug. But he was hiding in a cave. Anyone know why he was hiding in a cave? Yeah, yeah, someone wanted to kill him. <laughs> it's a good reason to hide, right? And it wasn't just anybody, like you just said. It was the king of Israel. What was his name? Saul. Saul. Yeah, Saul. I got to be honest, sometimes when I consider him hiding in the cave, I picture more like he was just on this fun camping trip. Right? You know what I'm talking about. The fun camping trip where the rocks are behind you and you got the fire going. You bring out your harmonica. What song are you playing on your harmonica? Home on the range, of course. Home on the range. (laughs) Now that you have that picture in your mind, (laughs) that's not what's going on. (laughs) He had to flee from the king. The king wanted him killed. And so the, the king, he actually has his soldiers looking all around. For David. And it's in this context that David writes Psalm 57. David writes many of the Psalms. But here he is, as he's fleeing, even at the beginning of Psalm 57, it says, For the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. So just imagine, picture that. He's in the cave writing Psalm 57. Pay attention to the hardships of David's life as he writes this Psalm. He mentions that he's in the midst of disaster. Disaster. Again, we make sometimes the Bible so poetic. And we make it just kind of, oh, that's beautiful how the Lord comes in the midst of disaster. No, more think about a hurricane in the midst of disaster. He says he's been bowed down in distress. Again, we can make these words sound so Christian, but distress. You ever been in distress? You ever feel the pain of distress? Two, three in the morning. Distress. But also pay attention to the hope in God that he has in the midst of it all. This is what he writes. He says, have mercy on me, God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. 
Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing, and I'm going to make some music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaching to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, church, sometimes... I, if I'm honest, I'm just extremely confused by the version of Christianity that some Christians believe in. Kind of where you, you just say yes to Jesus and then you just get to be happy all the time and nothing bad is ever going to happen. And it's crazy. I, I was uh, doing some ministry lately this past week and someone, literally, that's what they were preaching to me. And I, and I don't know. I feel like people have been trying to sell me that version of Christianity for a long time. And again, that's why it's so important that you actually read the Bible. Don't just blindly listen to someone or follow someone you, you saw on TV or, or heard on a podcast. Actually search the scriptures. And when you search the scriptures, you won't find God promising that you'll never experience hardship. You're not going to find that promise, but you will find the promise that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He promises you that even in the worst of times, God is there. He's there, he's near, he's comforting you, he's caring for you. As Psalm 56, 8 tells us, David writes this, he says, God, you keep track of all my sorrows, you've collected all my tears in your bottle, you have recorded each one in your book. I was going through my rooted book this week and and I saw that verse and it blew me away. I hope it kind of blows you away. That's how important you are to the Lord. Some of us don't believe that. And I get it, life has a way of throwing its punches. But read that again. That's how valuable you are to Him. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. And He cares about it all. Even if you have to flee to a cave. You ever have to flee to a cave? I I bet you every person in this room has a story, right? That cave story. But even in the darkest, coldest, damp, wet corners of that cave, the Lord is with you. He is with you in the moment of questioning, in the moment of worry, in seasons of discouragement and despair. He knows you by name. He sees each tear that falls, and he cares about them all.
Lord, we believe that. We believe that you made us, that you are a creator. We are created. But you didn't leave us just to hang. You didn't leave us just to be miserable on our own. But you're with us. You know us. You care for us. You see each tear that falls. We have hope in the Lord. Do you believe that? Hope in the Lord. It's a supernatural, divine hope. That isn't found in anything or anyone but the Lord. Our hope, by the way, it isn't going to fix every problem that we face, especially in the way that we want it to be fixed. Really, let's be honest. Can we just get through some of the religious junk for a second? Things are rarely fixed in the way that we want them to be fixed. And yet there's hope. There's hope in God. There's hope that He cares for us. There's hope that he knows what I'm going through. He actually goes through it with me. Aren't you thankful that he goes through it with me? He's not a, a, a God that leaves me alone. He's with me. He's even inside of me. Hallelujah. So he's with me and in me and through me and on me in this journey. He's comforting me. He's strengthening me. He's guiding me. And come on, sometimes he's just flat out carrying me. Second Corinthians chapter 4 speaks this pretty good, pretty well. He's, uh, Paul says, he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed. You ever been perplexed, by the way? Come on. If you've been breathing on this earth, there's been times when you've been perplexed. But he says, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but in the name of Jesus, I am not destroyed. See, that's the truth of the Christian walk. We do have hope. But that hope, it often, 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 it is in the midst of being afflicted and persecuted, even feeling struck down but not destroyed. We have hope, and the hope is not in circumstances, but sometimes circumstances are great. Sometimes circumstances are not that great. Our hope is not in circumstances. Our hope also isn't in people. You kind of wish it could be in people. And by the way, sometimes people, humanity displays great things, incredible love, incredible grace and kindness and compassion. Other times, not so much. Our hope isn't in circumstances. Our hope isn't in people. Our hope is in the unfailing love of God that will see us through it all. And so even now with everything going on in our global world, even now everything going on in your personal world, you as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the power in this moment to choose right now to place your hope in the plans and the purposes of a loving Father, believing that He will provide for you, believing He will give you what you need, believing He will sustain you as you face the challenges in your life. Hope. There's a great example of this in the book of Daniel. You see three guys... Pretty cool names, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They're facing an intense situation. Remember what they had to go through? They're, they're, they're having to stand for their faith. There's this guy, King Nebuchadnezzar. He had built this huge image of gold. Remember that? This huge image of gold. Everyone has to fall down and worship. Now, do these three guys fall down and worship that image of gold? Anyone, anyone remember that story? 
Yeah, they, they don't. They don't. In fact, they, they're like, we can't, we, we can't worship anyone but the one true God of Israel. So what do they, they don't bow. And instead of bowing, um, they actually stand. Now, there's that part of you that kind of feels like if you ever were in that situation, like people around you would just be applauding you for your faith. Like, man, just, just so proud of you for being bold, right? Just, man, I just honor that decision not to bow down. But is that what happens? No. <laughs> They're burned, trying to burn them to death. This is what the king says. He says, if you don't worship that image of gold, you're going to be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. What do you say after that? He goes, then what God's going to be able to rescue you from my hand? That's what the king says. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you have to love their response. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve, he is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods. We will not worship the image of gold that you have set up. It's challenging, isn't it? I'm challenged by their faith. I'm challenged by the hope that they put in God. They declare to their king, they say, you know, our God, he can deliver us. He will deliver us. Declaring to the king, yeah, you think you're in charge and, and, and your hand is, you know, so mighty, but see, you're not, our lives are not in your hands. Our lives are in the very hands of God. But then they go on to say, they say, but even if God doesn't save us from your furnace, the furnace, by the way, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's ticked at this point. The Bible says that he makes the furnace seven times hotter than ever before. He says it was so hot that as they brought these three guys to the furnace, do you remember what happened to the soldiers who brought them to the furnace? They got killed, right? They were burned up. It was that hot. But they said, but even if God doesn't save us from your furnace, there's no way we're serving your gods. There's no way we're serving that image of gold that you've set up. And can we just enjoy a little bit today the radical faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I was thinking about this week, like, these are my brothers, <laughs> right? Come on. When I get to heaven, bam, like fist bump. Uh, the family of God. I mean, just a little bit. I mean, in the midst of the craziness, like, these men of God, look what they did in front of their king. By the way, can we turn up the heat just a little bit? I, I'm a little cold. Is it cold in here? Anyone else? Feel like it's cold? It feels a little cold. But I love their faith. I mean, it's just the most beautiful expression of faith and hope and trust in God. It's actually a faith. I, I would pray that, that we would pray for that kind of faith to rise up in us as we face the challenges of our day. Right? A faith that just says wholeheartedly, I believe in God. I believe he will deliver me. But even if he doesn't, I'm not following you. I'm following him. Right? I'm not following you. I'm following him. And again, as you read the Bible, this is the faith, the hope that you see throughout the Word. It's what you see in Stephen as he's stoned to death. It's what you see in Paul and Peter as they're imprisoned. It's the faith that you see in so many Christians over the past 2,000 years who have lost their lives, laid down their lives for the Lord. I believe God. I believe that He can and I believe that He will. But even if He doesn't, I ain't following you. I'm following Him. And this kind of faith, it is so important. When we talk about, when we get down to the nitty gritty about what it actually means to be a Christian. Because you cannot be a Christian without faith. You cannot be a Christian without faith. 
And faith is more than just believing in God, right? Just having a belief that He exists. It is actually an active, willing, just all of you, just putting your life into the hands of God, right? Like the disciples, like David, like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. It's just this active step. Faith is an active step of offering your life to him where you're surrendering your life to him where you say my life is no longer my own i am a created being and i have a creator i'm no longer going to try to figure it out on my own instead i am stopping and i'm now putting my life all of my life my hopes my dreams everything i got into the hands of my creator my god i am giving it to him where i trust him with my very life that is the faith and the surrender that God has called us to. Jesus gives us an amazing picture of all this, of faith and surrender in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Remember, Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. He knows he'll be arrested. There's going to be a trial. He's going to suffer the most humiliating and painful death. Endure it all. He knew it was about to happen. He knew that he would take on the full punishment for the sins of the world. And so Luke 22 records it this way. It says, And being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So it's this scene in the garden showing us Jesus' honesty with his father, bringing his cares to his father, even saying, if it is possible, let this cup be taken from me. And yet it's in this scene at this very moment that we see a complete and total surrender of Jesus. He says, yet, not as I will. Father, as you will. Father, as you will. It's this beautiful, powerful Moment of surrender. I mean, how, with everything that's about to come, could the Son surrender to the will of the Father? He surrenders because he trusts the Father. He surrenders because he has a confidence in his Father. He has a faith in his Father's love for him. I love what Jeremy said earlier about the love of God. See, Jesus knows that the Father loves him. And because Jesus knows that the Father loves him, He trusts him. It's the most radical trust, by the way, that I think any of us will ever see, ever encounter. What an example of trust. And it comes again from a son who puts his love, puts his trust, puts his hope in the love of his father. Now, as you hear that story, let's be honest, this kind of surrender isn't easy. In my own life, I know it's true. In fact, often surrender... It doesn't really come until I'm at my lowest point. Have you noticed that in your own life? Right? Surrender. It doesn't really come until you're broken. And then in your brokenness. And even the brokenness, sometimes it's the brokenness where you said, I don't think I could be broken even more. And then you're like, oh, I guess I could. But it's in that place where we finally surrender. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? I think about when my fiancé called off the wedding, just that pain of rejection, right? You, you, some of you have experienced that, that pain of abandonment. Or I think about when I was in the middle of my gambling addiction, 
the gambling addiction, it was, it was, it was just a, a raging fire. I, even though I wanted to stop, I just kept returning to gambling again and again and again. And, and just the shame, the intense, heavy shame that it brought into my life, that heavy feeling of being completely and utterly worthless. And I remember, I, I just vividly remember during those seasons of my life, I would cry out to God, God help me. Right? I, I don't know what to do, God. I, I can't go on. I, I need you. I'm out of options. I'm out of ideas. That's even, in, if we're really serious today, that's even when those moments where you go, I don't know if I can go on or will go on. So there, there's, I, I don't know if you've been there, but at some point words fail you, and you don't even know what to say. You just say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm done, Jesus. I'm done. I just give it, hand it over to you. I'm just done. Sometimes it takes a little bit for us to get to that place, but finally, not that it always is this way, but in many of our cases, that is finally a moment of true, pure surrender. Surrender. Surrender to the Lord. Remember Peter? You guys love Peter? Peter is a fun guy to study. He's got some highs, he got some lows. <laughs> One of Jesus' closest friends. After the resurrection of Jesus, Peter is one of the first leaders of the early church. As a leader in the early church, he faced some stuff. <laughs> he faced some stuff. There was probably plenty of times he was crying out to Jesus to save him. Plenty of times asking Jesus to help him. When you think about the persecution of the early church, with his eyes, Peter witnessed the worst of tragedies. With his eyes, he saw the worst pain, the worst suffering. Peter, with his own eyes, he saw some of his very best friends killed in horrific ways. He saw his brothers in Christ. He saw his sisters in Christ die for their faith, put to the sword for what they believed in. But then in the midst of all of that, he writes about true surrender. Look what he writes. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I was, th I was talking to Ryan about this week. I go, my anxiety is, you know, that the engine light came up on my car. Their anxiety is they're about to die. <laughs> so let's just get that uh, straight this morning. The anxiety is they're coming to get me. But it's in those times of anxiety where everything seems to be going against you and you're afraid and you're worried and maybe you're even hiding in a cave. That's exactly when you and I humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself under his hand. Don't waste your time trying to get your agenda accomplished. Right? Don't waste your energy trying to get all your plans coming together. You ever done that? Instead, no, you humble yourself. When you're humbling yourself before the Lord, you're bowing down. That's one of the great things in worship, by the way. It's always appropriate. To get on your knees and bow down. You'd never have to. But it is a posture of humility. Of bowing down low before your king. It's a humbling of yourself. Allowing yourself. Saying I'm putting myself under him. Right? I'm putting myself under his authority. Under his direction. Under his commandments. Under his kingdom. Under his mighty hand. In humility I am surrendering. And when you surrender. You surrender how much? Everything. So that means your dreams, your visions, your plans. And you lay it out before him. Peter says you humble yourself under his mighty hand. And when you do, two things happen. Number one, he will lift you up. 
Hallelujah. Number two, in due time. So what that means is he's going to lift you up, but he's going to lift you up in his timing. Unfortunately, I've noticed my timing and God's timing are just not always the same thing. Right? I, I wish I could be more in step with the Lord, but often, if I, again, his speed is just not what I want it to be. I, I'm usually kind of thinking this way. Come on, God, I prayed, so... Have you ever done this? I humble myself, so... But God is patient. He's much more patient than I am, I've found out in 37 years. But I've also found out he's patient. Not absent, but patient. Patience in every situation, patiently at work. Do you believe that? In faith you can say, yes, I do. In every situation he's involved, every situation working out his plans, his purposes, his dreams, his vision. Sometimes I think he's a little slow in the process. And yet the spiritual reality is that God is working and he is working at just the right speed. His timing is perfect. I loved in the Rooted Workbook, it puts it this way. Part of trusting God is not only believing he will lift us up, but that he will lift us up in the right time. But then continue to read. First Peter, he says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand and he'll lift you up in due time. Verse 7, cast all of your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Aren't you thankful that our God, the God of heaven and earth, the God who created, as you were here a couple weeks ago, the 200 sextillion stars, that that God invites us to cast all of our cares, all of our worries, all of our anxieties onto him because he actually cares for us. Notice that he says all of your anxiety or cares. That means he doesn't just really care about the big stuff. I've really struggled with this in my life. But we don't have to just give him the stuff that we think is important or worthy of his time. He actually says, no, give it all to me. We can give it all to him because he cares for it all. So that's what we do. The best that we know how, we give it all to him. We surrender to the Lord. Given you my heart and all that is within, I lay it all down for the sake of you, my King. I'm giving you my dreams, I'm laying down my rights, I'm giving up my pride, yes, Lord, for the promise of new life. Oh, and I surrender all to you, all to you, and I surrender all to you, all to you. And I'm singing you this song, Jesus. I'm waiting at the cross. And all the world holds dear. Though I count it all as loss. For the sake I'm knowing you. And for the glory of your name. To know the lasting joy. Even sharing in your. Hey, and I 
I've been a Christian living long enough as a Christian to have some pretty tremendous highs and some pretty painful lows. But as I look back, I can see that it's in those times of surrender, in those seasons of trust and surrender, often with tears in my eyes, as I put my hope in the Lord, it's in those times that I've grown most to be like Christ. To be like Christ. Ultimately, church, that's the goal. The goal isn't that perfect spouse and a house and a fence and a dog and a job. The goal is Christ. And to be like Christ. To allow the Holy Spirit to do such a work in me that the world around me would see Jesus. The love of God through Jesus in me. And God wants that for every one of us today. There's an opportunity in this moment to once again submit your life under the authority of the Lord. To trust that He loves you. To trust that He cares for you. Trust that in your surrender, He will work and He will move, patiently move in your life. But it's in this moment when you feel like everything is falling apart that you have to get on your knees, put your trust in Him again and say, not my will, Lord. But yours be done. But remember, you're not alone. You're not alone in this room, but you're also not alone with the legacy of people who have followed the Lord. The people of the Bible, they understood suffering. They understood trials. Listen to what James says. By the way, this is probably the James who is the brother of Jesus. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Everyone say perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So it's right now in the midst of your trial, right now when your faith is getting hit from all sides in every direction, it's in this moment that you rise up. It's in this moment that you believe that something is being produced in you that no one and nothing can take away. Where you believe before the trial, remember before the trial, you were tossed to and fro. Do you remember before the trial in the ocean of faith, you went up and down, up and down. But as your faith has been tested, a perseverance has been produced. 
A perseverance that continues to grow and grow and grow where you become mature and complete, not lacking in anything. But then the next trial will come. Thanks, Pastor Dan. Right? Sorry to break the news to you. My boss used to tell me, and I hated him for saying it, but it was true. You're either coming out of a storm or heading into one. Now, as Christians, don't be afraid of the storm, right? You don't need to be afraid. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to always kind of have that on-edgeness of just being worried about the next storm. But life has a way. It just does. Life has a way. But you can face life better equipped. You can face life better prepared. Because a faith has been tested. A faith has been proved. Your faith, it has been refined in the fire. You've learned, and by the way, learning is sometimes kind of painful, but you've learned how to trust in God. You've learned how to truly put your hope in the love of God. Not just a worship song, not just a poster, but true hope in the love of God that you can say and declare to the world that nothing ahead of me, nothing that is still to come is going to be able to shake me or move me from living all that I have for the Lord. We don't want to build a crowd here. I think God's really into building disciples. He wants you to follow Him, not just in the good seasons, but also in the bad times. And in your bad times, in the worst of times, as you put your hope in God, you're going to be a shining light to this world. The world is going to see you as such a peculiar and weird and odd fellow. But they're also going to ask you some questions. What is your deal? How and why can you have hope in the midst of such chaos and darkness? I want that for you. I want that for each one of you. I do. As your pastor, I love you. And I hate seeing you tossed to and fro. But it doesn't have to be that way. There's a perseverance that can rise up within you. You can be strong in the Lord. And know that nothing, nothing is going to separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. We're going to read that passage. It's so familiar to us. But as I read it, I'm not even going to put it up on screen. If you just close your eyes and just allow the truth of God's promises, speak. Lord, speak by your word. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Speak even now, Lord, what you would want to speak to us through your mighty word. This is what it says. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or are destitute or are in danger or are threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
pray with me. Lord, the picture you gave me during that song was, I just saw so many people that are just spinning and running just so fast. And they are living and being fed and resourced and nourished by excuses that it's the pain of others the, the situations of others, the decisions of others that is feeding them and, it, and that's how they're living that's how they're making it through their day is actually by expressing hurt and anger and bitterness and resentment and rejection and abandonment that that is the fuel that people are using to make it through the day living on excuses if he did and she did. And Lord, I just felt like in that song you were giving us this space to give up all the excuses, to no longer carry offense, to no longer hold that bitterness and that anger. That instead, there would be a freedom to let it go, to let it go.
and to put our trust and our faith and our hope in you once again. Not that we're going to live till 110 and run a marathon, as great as those things are, but just the hope, the faith, the trust that you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us, that there's nothing that could snatch us out of your hand, there's no one that could separate us from your love. So God, I just pray that in this place. And if that's you, the Lord is speaking that he's calling you deeper. I I think that's such the apparent voice of God today is he's calling you deeper. That whatever manna you've been living on, there's new and fresh manna for today. Whatever scriptures you're living on that you memorized 20 years ago, he has new words for you today. He wants you to pour into his presence, pour into his holy word, pour in to his community for what he wants to speak to you today. And today, God, we surrender. Today, we put it all in your hands. Lord, that we would be a church, that it wouldn't even be a question if someone came in and said, do you believe in Jesus? We go, we just kind of laugh and say, well, of course we do. He's everything we've got. He's everything we need. That we'd be like the disciples when everyone else left Jesus after the hard teaching of his body, uh, eating his body and drinking his blood. They said, man, where else would we go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. And I just pray that over this church, Lord. Yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. And then it seems to get harder. But we're not going anywhere, God. You, you want us. We're yours forever. <laughs> Nothing is taking us away from you. Just nothing. Forever, as long as we got oxygen on this earth, we're singing your praises. And when they try to extinguish that, we'll just sing your praises in heaven. Or if you come back and return, we'll just sing your praises. We're, just nothing's going to stop us. We're yours forever. Forevermore. Forevermore. We bow down. Lord, I also pray for those who have been in a season for a while, who have been in a trial for a while. I just ask, I think there's permission in your word to ask. I ask boldly in the mighty name of Jesus that in this would be your timing to lift them up. I pray that, Lord, over those who have been just so broken in that desert place, in that place where so many enemies have, it just felt like the enemies have been winning. I pray that in this time, Lord, in this moment, in the name of Jesus, you would lift them up. Victory in the name of Jesus. I pray that, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. And it's a testimony, Lord. It's, it, it's a testimony of your goodness, of your glory, of your power on this earth. That the world would see that our God is not dead. He surely is alive. He's moving in this land. He's moving in his people. And he wants to move in every heart. And he's going to move as he sees a people that are so desperate for hope, Lord. You're going to move and bring hope into those situations. You're going to see a people who feel so lost and you're going to bring a presence that will find them. Find them. The blind will see. The lame will walk. As we end this service, if you need healing, would you please just raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. Amen. Absolutely. Lord, we pray right now. Healing in the mighty name of Jesus. Healing in the mighty name of Jesus healing in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, you can heal in prison. Uh, anyone in prison right now, Lord, that needs healing, heal them in the mighty name of Jesus. 
Lord, I just pray for those that couldn't get to church today because of pain, that are bedridden, healing in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord. We thank you for that, God. Healing in the mighty name of Jesus. Not for our glory, for your glory, God. Not for our lives, but for your kingdom. Healing in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, God. Healing, a testimony of healing in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Hope, faith, trust in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us? Let's sing and declare the praises of God.